This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church podcast experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. Thank you for joining us here at Dominion Church. For those that are joining on our Facebook live stream, thank you for being a part of this. Do us a favor, go ahead and and like and share this stream on your wall. That'll be uh, a big blessing to us. Maybe you're watching on our YouTube channel at Dominion Church SC, or maybe on our Dominion Church podcast experience. But the point is, you're with us, whatever the platform is, but like those platforms, share them, let other people be blessed by what's happening here at Dominion. We also want to encourage you, come and be a part of one of our gatherings. We meet right now Sundays at 4.30 uh, in Greer, right across from the Kia of Greer dealership. Easy to find. We're on the lower back level. There's parking down in the bottom area. And we'd love for you to come and just be a part of what we do here together. Uh, we, we believe that you'll be blessed as a result. Uh, so I'm not going to take a lot of time here in, in, in kind of doing introductions, but we are finding ourselves in the middle of a new series we started last Sunday called Fresh Baptism. Fresh Baptism. And this is something I actually uh, had kind of churning in my spirit since October. And the Lord told me, okay, you got to hold it. This is meant for 2021. And so if you guys just knew, maybe some of you guys were praying for me. I pray that you're praying for me. Uh, It it took a lot to sit on this uh, because I was so excited, so ready. But again, when the Lord says do something, you better wait and do it when he tells you to do it. Uh, and so 2021 it is. So I would encourage you actually to get the kind of the panoramic picture of, of this series and kind of what's preceded it. I would encourage you to go and watch the last service of 2020, uh, which uh, we're talking about, it's a new season, the rules have changed. And then the following Sunday was Vision Sunday. And then we started this series last week on Fresh Baptism. They all kind of work in tandem together to give you a, a broad a snapshot of what the Lord is speaking to us as a house, as a ministry, what He's speaking to me personally. And so we're going to jump into this in session two of Fresh Baptism. So a quick two-minute recap of session one. We talked about baptism, and we talked about the power of baptism, the beauty of it, what it looks like. I can't go back and reteach it. But uh, suffice it to say, baptism has been for a very long time one of the core expressions in the life of a believer. So uh, salvation, that salvation prayer, that salvation experience would obviously be the first step in that journey. But then quickly thereafter, some, in some places it can be immediately thereafter, is straight into water baptism. Now I would encourage you, I feel like there is some benefit to having understanding. Uh, it's not that our journey in God always requires understanding. Can I get an amen on that? What I found most of the time in my experience, God will do something to me and then he'll explain it later. Does that, does that mean anybody, can you guys relate to that? It's like, okay, God, I, I'll, I'll do it. I'll count me in. And then like two months later, you're like, God, was this what I signed up for? Because if I had known this is what I was signing up for, I might've thought about it a little more first. So God, God knows what he's doing. You know, uh, one, one of the forgotten names of God is Jehovah Sneaky. He knows what to do to get you to agree, <laughs> to, to get you to sign up. But it's all for our good. We know that it's all for our benefit. But I believe baptism is, is, is beautiful because there's so many truths we can, we can, 
dig into, you know, uh, what we reviewed in our session last week. We talked about how it's part of our participation in the death, burial, resurrection of, of Jesus. And so that's a beautiful picture. When we're baptized backwards into the water, it's, it's basically putting the, the world on notice that the old Matthew is indeed dead and gone, and a new Matthew is reborn, regenerated, but my name changes because my nature changes as well. So, I mean, you, you know, you, of course you still call me Matthew, but my name in the heavenlies now is the name of Jesus, right? Because I now carry his nature. My name has changed because my nature has changed. Baptized unto the firstborn son. That's what Jesus is called, the firstborn among many brethren, right? The high priest of a royal priesthood. You guys know this. This is, this is kindergarten stuff, right? He's the king of kings. That's the capital king of the lowercase kings. You, you are the kings and queens of the earth. I know that there are literal kings and queens around planet earth, but in the economy of the kingdom, you are a king in the king. That doesn't mean you are the king. You're not him. He's not you, but you represent him. You represent him well. Uh, he is the Lord of Lords, the capital Lord of the lowercase Lords. Who are the Lords in the earth? We're supposed to be, come on, the family of God, showing the world what the kingdom of God looks like, representing, representing our King and our Lord to everyone that we encounter. That's essentially what ambassadors do. Maybe that's a term we can, can, can more kind of agree with. In America, we have ambassadors. What do ambassadors do? They go and represent our government to other nations. And when an ambassador goes, they go with all the rights, all the authority of those that sent them. Okay? They're not there to share their opinion. Okay, I don't, I don't want to get in trouble because we're trying to get started here. A lot of us, we believe our ministry platform is our opinion of others. But actually, in the kingdom of God, your opinion should reflect his opinion. Why? Because I don't have an opinion. God says this, that's what we do. I know some of us, that's, that's a tough word because a lot of us, we're used to just doing things our own way. Listen, I promise you there is a better way. His way. And, and so the hallmarks of his way, you know it's his way because there's two things that I look for from the get-go. My way is easy. My burden is light. So as soon as you make a decision and you start finding out it's not nearly as easy as it should be and it's not as light as, as it should be, maybe you need to go back to the drawing board. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times where we go through labor, we go through the, the, the pain of travail. That is a part of our kingdom experience as well. But when it comes to the plan and purpose of God, he makes a way that is so direct, that is so successful, that you begin to find out, well, his way is easy compared to what way? Your way. Come on. Uh, <laughs> a lot of our Sunday testimony time are people sharing about how hard their way was. Why was it hard? Because it was their way. There was a song that the Frank Sinatra made very famous in, in his career, I Did It My Way. That is the song of, of, of the narcissist. That is the song of the proud and arrogant. Bless God, I did it my way. Well, how'd that work out for you? There, there are ways that are better than your ways. Thoughts better than your thoughts. I don't, somebody needs to hear this. We haven't even jumped in this yet. I've got to focus. So to go back, listen to session one, fresh baptism. We're going to take you straight into what I'm about to share. Matthew chapter three, starting at verse 16. Uh, for any of you that have 
tracked with us for any amount of time, you've heard me teach on Matthew chapter 3. Perhaps you've heard me teach it out of Mark or Luke. All three Gospels give this account. But my favorite is in Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We're talking about fresh baptism. So the baptism we covered in session one is not the baptism that happened in this moment. You want to know why? Of course, right? I want to know why. Well, first of all, think about the life of Jesus. Did he have anything to repent of? Nothing. Did he have an old nature that he had to make sure it was dealt with? No. So he did not have to be baptized in the same way that we're initially baptized. He was baptized in a different way. This baptism that we see in Matthew chapter 3 is a prototype. It's a model that had not yet existed until this moment. And from this place, we begin to see there's actually a a fresh baptism. Not necessarily a, a baptism that cancels out another. I believe we need to have it all. We need to identify with his death, burial, resurrection, and then take it further to his ascension and his enthronement. But also, I believe, and part of what this whole series is about, is getting us to this moment, Matthew chapter 3. This fresh baptism, this prototype that Jesus has invited us to. So in this verse, the word son, this is my beloved son. That's Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. The word son used in this verse is the word weos. Say weos. It means son. More specifically, it means a full-grown, mature son. This is my beloved son, my weos, my full-grown, mature son. So now, that's the stage. I want you to make sure you keep that in your mind. As we continue, we're going to shift gears here. Because when we talk about sonship, we also have to talk about adoption. And so I want to jump into that. The biblical meaning, purpose, and application of adoption in Scripture. So again, the word son, which we just talked about, Matthew 3, 17, the word weos. That word used here reveals so much about how we can more fully experience the Father's heart. Looking at the life of Jesus, there are three words used to describe him in terms of being a son. At Jesus' circumcision on the eighth day, we're we're told that the son was circumcised. Jesus, the son, was circumcised. The Greek word used there in Luke 2 is paideon. It's hard to pronounce these words. Paideon, which basically means an infant, a babe. Yet it's the word son. Then... The next time the word son is used is in Luke chapter 2, verse 48, when Jesus is in the temple at the age of 12. But that Greek word for child or son is technon, which means adolescent or at the age of bar mitzvah, which basically means, okay, putting the world on notice, this young man's a force to be reckoned with. So the first usage of son, he's a babe, an infant. The second usage, technon, he's a teenager, he's an adolescent. But then at this place, at baptism, his father calls him his beloved 
Quios, son, mature, full grown. Now, for, for again, at Dominion, something that we have studied and we have dug deep into is the principle of threefold things or excellent things. Behold, I speak to you in excellent things. That word excellent actually means threefold things. And if you go and you get your Bibles out and you start studying it with that lens in place, you'll find threefold things all over the place. Moses' tabernacle, the outer court, inner court, most holy place. That's A lot of us cut our teeth on that, right? Jesus the Savior, Holy Spirit the indweller, God the Father, right? Even you, you've got a, you've got a, a spirit, soul, body. The three work together to make you an excellent thing. 30, 60, 100 fold. Guys, we could do it, we could do it, we could do it all evening, okay? Milk, bread, meat. Adolescent, or babe, adolescent, full grown, mature son. God does things in threes. Okay, so for me to identify with this sonship, like I mentioned earlier, we have to identify with the principle of adoption. And the problem with adoption has been. We take our 21st century understanding of adoption and then we try to lay it over texts that are 2,000 years old. And that is not what Scripture is trying to communicate. Now, we are pro-adoption. Don't get me wrong. We love adoption. We love for kids to get a second chance. We do. We are pro-adoption at Dominion. That being said, that's not the kind of adoption that's being talked about. Let's get into this. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now let's go back and look at this. Let's look at these words again. For all who live by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That word for sons, weos, full-grown, mature sons. So is it possible, I'm just throwing out some rhetorical questions here for you to think about. Is it possible for you to be saved, for you to love the Lord, but to not be led by the Spirit? Sure, it's possible. Because it says right here, those who are led by the Spirit are the weos, the full-grown mature sons. So you can be a babe in God, and you love the Lord, He loves you, absolutely. You're significant, you're valued. But you can be led by anything if you're not careful. Because it takes a level of maturity. It takes a level of, of, of buying into the union you have with your father for you to start actually being led by the Spirit. Don't run from this. And this also is not trying to divide or separate people. There's no class of sonship in the kingdom, okay? There's no lower class sons. There's no, okay, now these sons are the best ones now. No, God's heart for all of us is to mature in the process. I think part of our issue is we despise the process. Well, I don't, I don't want to have to go through the process of drinking milk. Well, listen, all babies have to. That's not up to you. You know, we, uh, Megan and I, we have four kids together, and they all started with milk. That's how it works. 
And a lot of that milk of our initial journey in God, we, we're, we're taught the foundational truths of what it means to be saved. Come on, to live the life that the Lord has planned and purpose for us. The only time that becomes problematic is when we refuse to eat anything else other than milk. Have you ever met someone in their 30s that their diet is only milk? No. Why? Because they wouldn't have made it to their 30s. Their body's going to cry out for something more, right? More sustenance. Something to challenge our intestinal fortitude. <laughs> and then we mature. In the mature, it's funny, in the maturing, the, the food that is identified with the adolescent is bread. Give us this day our daily bread. While that prayer is beautiful and significant, it's still the prayer of the adolescent because we're still, okay, God, just uh, at the very least, I just need enough to make it through this day. And while that's okay and it certainly has its place, there comes a time where that prayer should not be your first prayer. You're for, I believe that where God's trying to get us in our prayer life, in our conversational union with him, is a place of absolute trust where our prayers are more the decree of God than it is our personal demand. Then you start maturing from the place of bread to the place of meat. You guys okay? When the disciples asked Jesus, hey, we're going to go get some food. Do you want something? No, I have meat you don't know about. My meat is to do the will of my father. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You receive the spirit of adoption as sons. That phrase, adoption as sons. The word for that is weothesia. Weothesia. So weos, sons, thesia, placement. So the adoption of sons means this, the placement of the weos. The placement of mature sons. And it's in that place we cry, Abba, Father, or Father, Father. It's the intimate form of calling God your dad. There are people that have had relationship with Father for many years that do not yet have a relationship with Father, Father. They'll call him Father, but they're not sure they want to call him Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. Listen, if we try to superimpose our 21st century understanding of what adoption is, those kids, they don't buy into the heirship of God. That's not how that's supposed to work. So again, God is showing us something that's significant in these moments. We're going to keep going for it. If you're confused, I hope we'll get some clarity here in just a minute. I'm so excited, I'm kind of running off the rails. So just give me some grace, okay? Romans chapter 8, verse 23, go a few more verses down the road. Not, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. So again, there, we always are quick to quote that, quote that creation cries out for the manifestation of the sons of God. But also it tells us that we eagerly await. For what? For the adoption of sons. 
What does that mean? It doesn't mean, well, I hope one day I can become a part of the family of God. No, what you're crying out for is, I want to be placed as a mature son. It's a difference. This is not a cry of salvation. This is a cry of placement. This is not a cry of confession. This is a cry of identification. The redemption of our bodies. Something is going on here. There is something about being adopted that changes everything. Not just the landscape of your spirit and your soul. It can even regenerate your body. Hmm. I know a lot, a lot of people are shy to talk about that. I, I guess I am too. You know, But there were many early church fathers that believed and bought into the thought that even our bodies can taste of life to such a degree that they will never taste death. Now, I don't know how to solve that all theologically. I'm not trying to make you promises I can't keep. It's not my promises anyway, so I don't have to worry about keeping them. But I do know this. Scripturally, we're told, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that judgment. And since we know that baptism is identification with the death of Christ, and Paul said we were crucified with Christ, well, then that means the death, as far as my appointment is concerned, has already been met. Amen? Okay. So take that, chew on it, go do your studies, see what you find out. Come back and, and tell me what you find. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. What phrase do you think that is trying to tell us adoption as sons? Weothesia. Full-grown mature sons being placed in himself. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, this is where we're going to have fun. Are you ready? Hold on. Remember, like I said, this is a chocolate lava cake. This is a decadent dessert. That's what this session is. So we're going to eat as much as we can, and then we're going to have to stop because it's going to be too much. But that's okay because we have next Sunday to finish it off. Okay? But what I want, I want you guys to grab hold of what I'm about to share. I want you to eat it, digest it, and then just enjoy it all week, and then we're going to wrap this thing up next session. So in the life of the average Hebrew boy in Jesus' time, there were three major events that marked their lives. The first of these events was his circumcision, which occurred when he was an infant, eight days old. This was the moment he was marked as a covenant man in Israel. Now you guys remember, when we see that word son in Luke 2.17, it means, okay, this is my son, my infant, my baby. The place of circumcision. Now, for some of you guys might be thinking about Paul when he's writing, and he's writing to uh, churches that are not part of the Jewish nation, and he says, listen, there is a big issue about circumcision. It's not about the circumcision of the flesh. It's about the circumcision of the heart. What is he addressing? We've all got to start somewhere. And babies in the kingdom start at the place of circumcision. The eighth day. Say the eighth day. 
Again, I, I can't go through it all, but I want to go through it all, but I can't go through it all. We know those numbers as you go, especially one through eight, very significant biblical numbers. But look at this. The number seven is the number of finish or completion. The number eight is the number of new beginnings. It's interesting that eight is the day of circumcision. It's the day of new beginning. It's the day you identify as a son of God. What kind of a son though? You're still a baby and that's okay. We all have to start there. You got, you hear me on Facebook? Okay, that's event number one. Event number two, the second major event was his bar mitzvah, which took place as he was about to enter into puberty. So somewhere in that range of adolescent age, at the end of 12, the start of 13, somewhere right around in there, the word bar mitzvah actually means a son accountable. Interesting. And this signified the time, not only when he was held accountable for keeping the commandments of God, but also when he was to become an apprentice under his father in the family business. Are you connecting the dots? So when we first encounter Jesus being called a son in his earthly ministry, it's at the place of circumcision, eight days old, he's called a son. And that word for son, paedion, means infant, baby. The second time we see the son, he's 12 years old, he's run away from his parents, and he's in the temple. And his response to his parents when they asked him, we were, we were scared, where were you? Did you not know I would be about my father's business? So when they found Jesus in the temple at the age of 12, it was essentially his bar mitzvah. I am now an accountable son, which means what? I am now becoming an apprentice under my father in the family business. Hence his answer, did you not know I would be about my father's business? The word son used there in, in Luke, it is technon, which is teenager, adolescent. He, he's being trained. You guys okay? I think some of us, we, I guess we just imagine Jesus just, just popped out and he was just ready to, to just be the son of God. Now, certainly he was the son of God, but he had to mature before he could represent the father. You guys listen to me. Some of us, we want the end result. We don't want the process. We don't want the toil and the labor. But you don't get to fake that stuff. You cannot fake process. I'm telling you that right now. And a lot of what we see in, in ministries where we have ministers falling from grace or, well, I hate that term falling from grace. I don't know how to fall out of something that I didn't know how to fall into. I think what it is, it's, 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 it's just failing, making a mistake, whatever you want to call it. Buying into the hype of our own campaign, our own personality contest. Then our people are, oh, they're devastated. I can't believe that pastor so-and-so did this. Prophet so-and-so disappointed us so much. But we forget that they're also in process as well. And, and grace, typically in those scenarios, regrettably is one-sided. We want our ministers to be perfect, and we want perfect ministers to make sure to give us all the grace we could ever need. You guys okay? I know hashtag church hurt, I get it. But there's also hashtag leader hurt too. Leadership hurts too. Somebody needs to hear this. Maybe somebody on Facebook needs to hear this. You know, it, it, there are times, 
It's hard in the process. Listen, there are moments, I'll just speak of my own experience, uh, where you literally, your decision is to get dressed and to walk into the building. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know if you're even passionate about what's going to happen next. You just know I'm here honoring what I know to do. And if you meet a pastor that tells you that they've never felt that, I would not believe them. Because we all have off days. We all have moments of disappointment. We all have moments where we're just like, why can't everyone else be as excited as I am about what God is doing? And then we, we, we tend to judge it based on who shows up, who doesn't show up. You know, I can speak from experience. It just feels good when the room's full. It, but if that's what you rely on, then you start to realize that something else is driving you. You can't drive for the approval of men. But it still helps. Can I just be honest for a minute? <laughs> it helps. There are time, many times where I've had people give me a compliment. They said, man, you know, I just want to compliment you. You preach like there's a thousand people in the room. <laughs> and they're meant as a compliment. My answer is always the same. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter how many people are in the room. I'm not preaching for them anyway. Certainly it can help them. When it's all said and done, it's unto him. I'm trying to represent the Father, not represent the opinions of people. You guys okay? I don't know why I got off on that. But okay, so there's Jesus at the age of bar mitzvah. Did you not know I'd be about my father's business? There, the son is now called Technon, teenager. Let's get on to the main event. This is where we're going to peel the paint off the walls. We're going to tear the carpet up off the floor. Okay, the third event, the third major event was known as Weothesia. Weothesia. I've already been teaching you this. I have to go back and listen to it again. Weos means what? Full-grown, mature son. Thesia means placement. Three major events that would happen in the life of a Jewish man in the day of Jesus. One was circumcision. Two was bar mitzvah. Three was his weothesia ceremony. The ceremony where he was placed as a full-grown, mature son. Where we get the word adoption. So I want you to hear this now. So within a family, the firstborn son, even though his father and his mother, genetically they're his parents, he was still not yet adopted as a full-grown mature son until he came to this place of his weothesia ceremony. That's why when we try to use the 21st century understanding of adoption and apply it here, it doesn't work. Because the kids still had to be adopted as full-grown sons. Jesus is no different. So this would be the adoption ceremony. Now listen to this, man. This is exciting. The word weothesia means son placement. Mature, full-grown sons being placed. And it indicates the time when a male child reached what was considered to be the age of maturity. Somewhere around the age of 30. Some of you are ahead of me right now. At this time, the father of the young man would place his hand on the head of his son and openly proclaim. See if this statement, you've heard it before. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I bestow upon him now all of my riches and power and authority so that he might act on my behalf in all of my affairs. 
his placement as a son, his adoption into the family. What does adoption mean in this day? It means you now have the authority to represent your father well. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. How old was Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16? He was 30. How do we know that? Because this is where his public ministry began. And his ministry lasted three years. He was crucified at the age of 33. So at the age of 30, we see Jesus being baptized by his cousin, by John the Baptist. And when Jesus is baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Okay, let's stop right there. Another part of a Weothesia ceremony was baptism. The father would put his hand on the head of his son and baptize him in water. But he would not baptize him backwards. He baptized him forwards. Come on, this is is good stuff. He didn't have to baptize him backwards because there's nothing to deal with in his past. He baptized him forwards because he wanted him to own what his future was going to be. What future was Jesus about to have? I am approving you as my beloved son, my mature son, placed in the family. I'm baptizing you forward because I'm showing you what your ministry is going to look like. You are going to represent me well. So he's baptized, comes up from the water, and behold, the heavens are opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And what did he hear his father say? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This was the adoption ceremony of Jesus. And if you think you can get by without being adopted and Jesus can't, you you got another thing coming. No, God wants to do the same thing to you that he did to his own son. He wants to baptize you as a mature son in his family. And what does that mean? Well, I've gone through it already. It means now, at the place of full-grown maturity, you represent the Father well. You represent Him in all business affairs. You represent Him with all of His authority, all of His dominion, all of His power. (laughs) This is the fresh baptism that God is offering each one of us. To be baptized as a full-grown, mature son. And then he goes on, Jesus goes on to ratify this thought. If you go and study Matthew 28, 18 through 20, at this point, he has already been crucified, buried, resurrected. He's about to ascend in Matthew 28. And he tells his disciples, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go, make disciples of the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's another way of saying it this way. All power has been given to me. Now I give it to you. Now make sure that the whole world is submerged in the full Counsel of God. That's my paraphrase. How can you have the confidence to do that if you don't believe you're qualified to represent the Father? Again, that's why he's called the firstborn of many brethren. I actually was studying out that verse, and I love this. This thought came up in my spirit when I was going through it. When it says the firstborn of many brethren, you could also say it this way Jesus is the firstborn of the firstborn. The firstborn of the firstborn. I know this, 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 this doesn't jive with, with some of how we process information, but every single person in the kingdom of God is a firstborn child. We're all firstborn. 
Again, I know that's weird for us because some of us, we've got older siblings, younger siblings, maybe we're somewhere in the middle. And you, but, but in the kingdom of God, every son and daughter is a firstborn child. In other words, there's no one that has a lesser claim on inheritance. There's no one that has a lesser claim on the heart of their father. We all have the same claim. Why? Because we're baptized in the same son. The full-grown, mature son, his name is Jesus. And in his name is his nature. God, man, I want to preach that. In his name is his nature. And he invites us into his name. For what purpose? At its most fundamental level, to represent the desire of God. To represent the heart of God. Whatever he thinks, I want to think it. Whatever he wants to do, I want to do it. The way he feels, I want to feel that way. The way he loves, I want to love that way. The way that he intercedes, I want to intercede that way. The way that he prophesies, I want to prophesy that way. Why? Because I'm not trying to make my platform something of significance. That's not my role in being a son. My role in being a son is to make sure that he is represented. Oh, And all of a sudden, I'm reminded of that thought. His way is easy. When you start to realize that your life's purpose is to represent him well, think of all the things you can cut out of that. All the things we crowd up life with. Oh, oh I, just, I just have to represent him. And to represent something, guess what? You have to see the image of what it is. So we see the Father clearly, and, and basically the command is just represent what you see. What do you see? And if you, don't know what, if you don't know what you're looking for, may I suggest humbly start with Jesus. After all, we're told he's the exact image and the perfect representation of his father. It's not like you're taking a chance. Look to him. Okay, well, where do I start? I, I got to figure out how to land this thing. I'm like, I'm still like cruising at 35,000 feet here. I got to figure out how to, how to wind this down. I went longer than I thought I would on this, but you guys, you're used to that. Where do I start? Well, you know, maybe we can start on the Sermon on the Mount. It's a great place to start. Maybe we could start with the ministry of Jesus has no retaliation in it. Oh. So to represent the Father means that I don't have the desire to want to give someone my two cent worth. Yeah, at a very fundamental level, it's exactly what it means. It means that my, my life's goal in any given day is not to pick a fight on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> Some of us, we've gotten so confident with the power social media gives us, we say things we'd never say to someone's face. Come on, grow a backbone. Represent the Father. You, listen, you, I prom- you, won't have to, you won't have to go looking for a fight if you will just turn on the image of God. Because first of all, people will find that fight. There are people that don't want to know that image. They don't want to see that image. They'll have problems with it. They'll pick a fight for you. But you, know, you don't have to fight that battle because he's the one fighting that one. Just release his image. I I have had more people get personally upset with me when I preach God's goodness because his goodness is highly offensive to their their disposition. They, They need a vengeful God. They need a judgmental God. They need an angry God. And when I try to tell them that's not what God looks like, they're like, who do you think you are? Well, I'm I'm a son. I'm 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 representing him. I'm I'm telling you, that's not who he is. Well, how do you know? Well, was Jesus like that? The Father, we're told in Scripture, 
the right to judge is God and God alone. It's, it's his right. You guys know that? And then we're told he gave that right to his son, Jesus, right? Have you ever considered what Jesus' word was on judgment? Okay, the father, this is said of the father. The father has given the right to judge to his son. Then you go and ask Jesus about judgment, and what is his response? I did not come to judge the world. I came to save the world. So in other words, yeah, I have the right, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm here to save. I'm here to redeem. I'm here to regenerate creation. You guys are trying to get me to fight with flesh and blood, and I will not stoop to that level. Mm. One last, I mean, hey, the ministry of Jesus, it's a ministry without prejudice in all of its forms. I, I want to represent the Father well. Well, to do that, you've got to lay down your prejudice. And you guys know that's, that's not only racial prejudice. That always gets the, the, the megaphone focus. But you know that there are 10 different prejudices that are mentioned in Scripture. Racial is one of them. There's the battle of the sexes, men and women. There's national prejudice. There's, there's geographical prejudice. There's, there's religious prejudice. See, some of us, we're, we're, we're saying, well, I'm not racially prejudiced, but you'll only listen to your one favorite preacher. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're, not even willing, you're not even willing to eat from another source. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not that kind of prejudiced, but women can't preach. All right, you're going to have to figure out how to kill that thing. Especially when, listen, I, I've been at this too long. I've run with women that are so anointed, it's not funny. And I, there's no way I would dare tell them they're not anointed to do what they do. You, you're, you're 25 years too late trying to tell me that nonsense. <laughs> there's educational prejudice between those that are smart and those that don't feel like they're quite so smart. The Ivy Leaguers versus the, you know, the, the, those that, you know, got their GED, whatever. We, we play all kind of games. But that is not reflective of the heart of who God is. And a mature, full-grown son that's placed in the family, we go straight to the father's heart before we ever form an opinion or a response. Wow. Father, how would our lives look if we just took the moment to pause and look for your heart before we gave an answer? Look for your heart before we picked a fight. Look for your heart before we picked political sides. Guys, I'm so done with this. I mean, another message for another day. Uh, unfortunately, in 2020, it's not just in 2020, but it seems like the climate is politically charged more than it's ever been. I got good news for you. The kingdom is not political. It's governmental. There's a big difference. Governmental is about how the people can thrive and flourish under authority. Politics is the game. Politics is people making backdoor deals to line their own pockets. That's typically what it is. I'm not trying, I'm not picking sides here. Come on, I'm trying to take that stance of the angel of the Lord. Remember when Joshua asked the angel of the Lord, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or theirs? And he said, I'm on my own side. God doesn't choose, God doesn't choose elephants and donkeys. He's the lion. Come on. And unfortunately, you know, I heard a lot of my brother. I've got to finish. I heard a lot of my brothers and sisters in 2020 giving the word of the Lord about vision. And that's great. I thought that was kind of easy, an easy prophetic word to give for 2020 because, you know, 2020 vision. But man, I tell you what, I think they were onto something. 
But what happened was clarity came in areas we weren't expecting. And I would say for me personally, especially as an apostle carrying that apostolic burden, what I saw was more clarity concerning the church that really just broke my heart is what it did. Seeing brother fight against brother, sister fight against sister over people that don't even know your name. Instead of coming together, knowing that Jesus is the only one we can all agree upon anyway, worshiping him, making sure he has his place, has his say. And now 2021, a lot of us, if it's even possible, are trying to mend relationships that did not have to be broken. And I would submit because many of us were operating as babies and teenagers in the kingdom instead of operating as mature sons. Because again, remember, what's the default? What's, what's the foundational response for how sons operate? What is my father's heart saying in this situation? I've got I've to I've finish this. I'm going to pray, and then I do want to just give you a little, can I give you just a little appetizer for next week? Okay. Lord, we thank you for this word. I know it's been a tough word. It's been decadent, but Lord, just let it go in deep into our spirits, Lord, that... <laughs> Thank you for adopting us. Wow. Thank you, Lord. I feel like many listening and watching, perhaps you're thinking of your process and you're like, yeah, maybe I'm still a baby. I, I need to mature. But listen, even, even that need to mature, that's not of your own doing. See, sonship is about union. Sonship is about trust. The fastest way to mature, I want to help somebody. I'm praying, but I want to help somebody. The fastest way to mature in the kingdom is to up your trust level. I trust you, Father. I don't understand it. I don't know, but I trust you. And then before you know it, you're out of milk and you're into bread. And in that place, we start, we start enjoying more freedom as a son. We start enjoying some of that authority but Lord, help us to get to the place of adoption, that place of becoming the, the weos, the full-grown mature sons. And in that place where we're eating the meat of who God is, representing his nature, his image well. Image bearers of the God of all creation. But that process, it's all about trust. It's about laying down my will, dying to myself. that the life of Christ might abound. I've been crucified anyway. I don't know why I keep fighting this thing. I've been crucified with Christ. I mean, I know I'm still alive, but it's not actually my life I'm trying to represent. Ah, I'm representing his life. So I just thank you for that, Lord. As each one processes this, Lord, let it touch their hearts, Lord. It's time for a fresh baptism. It's time for you to hear the decree of your father, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. I am very pleased. Lord, I just thank you for all these things now in the strong, mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So next week, just to give you a little tidbit, a little appetizer, we're going to go into a little bit more of what it looks like to be a mature son. 
We're going to look at, uh, it's, it's another one of those odd Greek words. It's, it's ganao or ganeo, depends on how you pronounce it. It actually is where we get the words for genetics or regeneration. The sons of God literally carry the DNA of their father. Genetically, you look like your daddy. <laughs> and that's how we're going to close out this series on fresh baptism. So if, you, if that sounds fun, that sounds interesting, join us on our live stream. Come be a part of it, and we'll have a good time with that next Sunday. All right, Facebook, YouTube, Dominion Podcast Experience, we love you. God bless you. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you again soon.